It's time for the 300th episode of Pinball Profile. I'm your host, Jeff Teolis. You can find everything on pinballprofile.com, subscriptions, past episodes, and more. You can find us on Facebook. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Pinball Profile. And you can email us, pinballprofile at gmail.com. A milestone episode, no question about it. Very proud to have 300 of these in the bank. So who is Mr. 300? He might someday be Mr. Number One. Based on his playing, I'm talking about Eric Stone, and he joins us right now. Eric, how are you? Good, Jeff. How are you doing? It's good to talk to you again, buddy. I hope things are going well for you in Florida. Yeah, it's very, very busy, and I want to congratulate you on your 300th episode. Well, when I think of the number 300, I definitely think of you because of your bowling achievements. Now, the funny thing is you're an amazing pinball player, and we're definitely going to talk about that. But I first found out about you years ago when you started talking about I don't even know what you're at now. It was it was something over 50 perfect games in bowling. One is incredible. How many do you have now? Uh, I've got 55. I just bowled my latest one about three weeks ago. I don't know what it's like bowling one of them, let alone 55 of them. Are you still just as excited? Do you still get nervous? Oh. I've heard the term in the pocket and all that kind of things. Explain what it's like going through a perfect game in bowling, let alone 55 of them. Well, you know, unfortunately... Even though I've had so many, I still get nervous as I get toward the end. Usually, I'll start thinking about it in the seventh frame. And, you know, in a game of bowling, you need 12 strikes. There's 10 frames. So you basically have nine strikes. And then in the last frame, you have to throw three in a row. So I basically, in my mind, think, okay, I got six, seven in a row. Let's get to the ninth one. And then we'll focus on getting three more in the 10th frame. And uh, as you get toward the end, it's it's very nerve wracking. And um, yeah, I, I still get nervous. But, you know, I've been blessed. I've been able to do it. And I tell you, it's a great feeling doing something perfectly, saying that you did it perfectly. So uh, but yeah, I, I bowled since I was a kid and uh, I love it very much. I've asked you this before, but for those listening for the first time, why did you never consider the professional bowlers tour? Well, I bowled in Salt Lake City several nights a week, and there was a month where I bowled, I believe it was 27 time, twenty-seven nights and 28 days, and I did something to my upper arm that if I bowl too much, you know, I, I get tired or it starts hurting, and over the years, you know, I'm 45 now, it's just I have a lot of aches and pains so the way I bowl, I really put a lot of strength and energy into throwing a 15 or 16 pound ball and joining the PBA, which is Professional Bowlers Association. It involves many games over, you know, a, a week long period over and over and over again. The other thing is um, a lot of guys that average high like I do, they get sponsored and they get bowling balls given to them and they get cash given to them for their hotels and whatnot. And believe it or not, bowling doesn't really pay all that much. It's more of, you know, having fun like pinball. It pays maybe a little bit more than pinball, but only if you win or you come in the top two or three. And you have to do that consistently in order to really make a living at it. And with my job doing weather, that's always come first. And that's obviously a steady income and it's something I'm passionate about. So, you know, if someone were to come to me and say, hey, I want to sponsor you. I want to give you, you know, a couple of bowling balls every other month because bowling balls cost $200, $250. And it's just, it's not a cheap hobby. And do they wear down 
Oh, yes. They wear down. When you say every couple of months, do they have to be replaced that often? I think of a baseball bat. You replace it when you break it, but you might have your favorite bat that you're, it's your go-to bat, and you, you use that until it dies. <laughs> That's right. Well, the chemical composition of a bowling ball, it's it's kind of designed to wear down, I would say, within six months to a year. And I think it's designed that way so that you buy more bowling balls. Well, I've kind of come to a conclusion that there's a few different ways I can rejuvenate the bowling ball. So the bowling ball I'm using is 14 years old and I don't like using new equipment. I have an unorthodox style of bowling and it's very difficult for ball drillers to drill a bowling ball the way I throw the ball. So I learned about 20 years ago that, you know, there's oil on a bowling lane. And so when you throw the bowling ball down, the oil soaks into the ball. Well, the more oil that soaks into the ball, the less reaction you get. And what I mean is, you know, you see a ball going down the lane and then it takes a hard left turn and it curves like you see the pros. Well, it doesn't curve as much and it doesn't hit the pins as well. So I figured, well, there's got to be a way to get the oil out of a ball. Well, I started putting the bowling ball in the oven about 20 years ago. And people thought, man, you're crazy. You know, you're putting the bowling ball in the oven, but it would literally bake the oil out of the ball. And I noticed that I would bowl better the more often I put the ball in the oven. The problem is because of the outer composition of the, I guess they call it the outer shell of the ball, it expands and contracts. So the ball cracks. And I thought, oh, no, bowling ball cracks. But I would drill holes in the crack, put epoxy in it, and then keep the bowling ball going for several years. It's like a corked bat. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's legal epoxy. It's legal ball plug, they call it. So, and, and trust me, um, everybody that, you know, bowls with me, make sure that all my bowling balls are legal. So <laughs> there's nothing to worry about there. But, yeah, so my challenge moving to Florida is, you know, was trying to find somebody to drill a bowling ball for me. I found one guy in Salt Lake City who is just absolutely amazing. And uh, I even sent a couple bowling balls back about three, four years ago. And all of a sudden, I started bowling perfect games again. Well, he retired, so I'm holding on to this one last ball that I have that I do really well with. And, um, you know, as soon as it, it already cracked, but I had it repaired. So, you know, I'm just kind of going day by day with it. <laughs> People are wondering why we're talking about bowling. Well, bowling has pins, and this is a pinball podcast. Bowling really should have been called pinball. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. What is the comparison from bowling these perfect games to pinball or doing something like a 710 split. How would you relate that to pinball? Well, a 710 split, I've only made that once in my life. Making a 710 split is like playing a 1950s pinball machine. You might get lucky and get a good game out of it, just like you might get lucky and get a 710 split. But the comparison of bowling and pinball is it's all about hand-eye coordination, right? Now, bowling is more of a physical sport, even though you're not interacting with other people. It's not like American football or, or you know, basketball where you, you're knocking people over. But, you know, with bowling, you've got a 15 or 16-pound ball, and, you know, it, it does wear on your body. Pinball does not wear on your body unless you're moving the machines all the time. But either way, you still – it's all about math and, and about angles. And with bowling and with pinball, you know – in pinball, you're making your shots. You have to know where in the flipper you're going to flip the ball. You know, you want to try to bank the ball from 
one place to the other. Just like in bowling, I'm throwing the ball down the lane to a certain point, and then the ball's curving back into what we call the pocket, which is where the head pin is, the, the number one pin, and the pin right next to it. That's where you want your bowling ball to hit the pins for the best chance to get a strike. So it's all about angles. You could say, you know, maybe it's about physics as well. You mentioned the hand-eye coordination is extremely important in bowling and definitely in pinball. You once told me, and you've said it before, about when you were born, there were some concerns about your health, and maybe that would affect hand-eye coordination. Do you want to relay that to those who may not have heard that story? Yeah, that's right. Um, when I was, I was born three weeks premature, so my nervous system didn't develop fully. And as I was, I don't want to say growing up, I want to say maybe the first year or two of my life, the doctors noticed a very slow development with my nervous system. And they told my parents that I was going to lack hand-eye coordination and maybe motor skills. So my mother had a great idea, and she said, well, you know what? A pinball machine might improve his motor skills. <laughs> so when I was four years old, they bought a Captain Fantastic, the machine that has Elton John on the front, and I got started playing pinball, you know, on a step stool at four years old. I would go to 7-Elevens when I lived in New Jersey when I was very young, between, you know, six, seven, eight years old, ten years old. We vacationed up in New Hampshire that had a lot of arcades, Fun Spot, the biggest arcade in the world. And I would play up there as a kid. And, you know, I developed skills that people call today live catches, drop catches, shatsing. I didn't know what any of this was. I didn't even know there were names to it. I just developed it on my own thinking, oh, well, this works. You know, when the Adams family kicks the ball out of the chair, I can catch it and then shoot the rim and just keep repeating that. So it was interesting, uh, you know, about the hand-eye coordination. And, you know, uh, thank God my parents were wrong about that. And uh, I think because I played pinball at such a young age, it helped me develop some of those skills that helped me now. You mentioned when you were born concerns about your nervous system. Many people have watched you play in high-level situations. And it's been noted that you really beat yourself up over a shot missed. It's all towards yourself. It's not towards anyone else. You are a very intense player. I think that's fair to say. Is this part of that, that development? Is it a condition that we may not know about? I don't think so. I think it might sound weird, but my parents always drove me to do better at everything I did as a kid. Now, I'm an only child. You know, I, I know if some people have siblings, sometimes they can, you know, blame something on their sibling. Oh, no, she did it or he did it, not me. Well, you know, everything was always my fault whenever something went wrong. If I, you know, I got bad grade in school, it was always, well, you, you got to do better. You got to do better. If I got uh, an A minus, I had to get an A. If I got an A, I had to get two A's. If I got two A's, I had to get three A's. And I always strived to satisfy my parents. And, you know, they always wanted the best for me and still do. And so I've always had this mentality of I need to be better. I need to be better. And, I, I you know, it, it's not necessarily the most healthy thing, but I think, you know, it's something that happened when I was a lot younger where my parents would drive me because when I was a kid, I needed motivation. I would get distracted easily. I would probably play pinball all the time and not do my schoolwork if my parents didn't motivate me. You know what I'm saying? And so – I really think it comes from that. No matter what I'm doing in life, I always strive to be better because that's pretty much how I was brought up. It's funny for people that have never met you, but maybe only see you on a stream or at a competition and see that intensity because 
people like myself who know you outside of that know you're a very quiet person, a man of faith, just a good-natured person, very generous. And I've spent a lot of time with you. I enjoy spending time with you. In fact, the first time we ever went to the Stern Pro Circuit, we stayed in the same room together because, you know, we obviously hit it off. And it's got to be a bit of a shock to people when they find out the real you is not necessarily the guy in the finals at Indisc that's just super, super intense. That's right. You know, I have the same intensity bowling as well. Not as much now as when I used to bowl four or five nights a week. And, you know, it may be a blessing and a curse at the same time because that intensity drives me to do so much better than I would if I lacked that. But, you know, I have people come up to me <laughs> and even the my roommates now, I met them bowling and, you know, they said, well, you know, when we first met you, we thought, man, you know, this competitive guy, and man, you know, he doesn't seem that nice. But then we went out and ate together. We had dinner one night, and oh wow, you know, you're not that bad. And I'm, and yeah, you know, I do get a bad rap because I, I'm very passionate. I've, I've been a passionate person, you know, since I was a kid. Every, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve, and everything I do, I just try to put my all into it. And unfortunately, it does come out. You know, it, it doesn't come out in a positive light. And that's right. You know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I love God. I believe God has blessed me with the talents of pinball and bowling. And, you know, life in general, when, when I look back at everything that, you know, God has done for me in regards to my career and, you know, my hobbies. So <laughs> I'm actually a pretty shy person when I don't know someone. And a lot of times that comes off as me maybe being smug. But it's not, you know, growing up as an only child, I didn't really, I wasn't outgoing. I was more of an introvert. And, you know, if, if I didn't know the person, I just would kind of shy away. But if somebody's really nice to me and they come up to me, then all of a sudden I would be, you know, a chatterbox. And I can talk and talk and talk. And I love, I love talking. And so it's like, you know, two different people in a way. Well, as someone who's known you for years, I have nothing but good things to say about you. I like absolutely everything about you, except for your love of the New England Patriots. <laughs> oh, come on. You're in Canada, Jeff. You're not supposed to like any NFL football. Do you like the Bills? I'm a Rams fan. So who did the Patriots oh. last beat? Yeah, exactly. Oh. The Rams beat themselves, though. But oh, that being <laughs> said, now that you're in Florida, what was it like for you seeing Tom Terrific win one for the Bucks? I tell you, it was interesting because... You know, I had a friend of mine who loved Peyton Manning, and he played for the Colts. And when he went over to Denver, my friend was hardcore. Oh, I'm a Denver fan. And I said, ah, I don't know how you can just go from liking one team to the other, you know, just because of one player. And so here I am, you know, Tom Brady left, and Rob Gronkowski is pretty much my second favorite player. And they both went to Tampa, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I have to watch every single Tampa Bay game. But the funny thing is, because I live down here, all the people that used to give me a hard time about Tom Brady, all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, Tom Brady's the best. And I said, I've been telling you for, you know, six, seven years that Tom Brady was the best. So it's kind of a running joke, but it was really cool to see him win. I, I'd rather have been with the Patriots, but he's the best player, you know, the best player of all time, best quarterback of all time. So I'm really happy that he won. Yeah, I have favorite teams, but... 
really, when it comes down to it, it's it's the players I like on these team sports. And if they go to a different team, you know, you just hope it's not your rival. And maybe you can follow them too. But I agree with you. Tom might be the greatest of all time. When it comes to pinball, I'm going to throw out some names here because people are putting you as potentially the next number one player of people that have never been number one before. In fact, Nate Shivers of Coast to Coast Pinball was on this program just not too long ago. And he said he thinks you'll be the next new number one player. So when we talk about these players, tell me what you think of their game. Of course, we will start with Keith Owen. That's right. You know, Keith Owen got started in competitive pinball at a very young age. And I think that if I knew about competitive pinball when I was 12, 13, 14 years old, because when I was in that age range, I was still blowing up machines from the 80s. And I really believe that Keith got started in competitive pinball and he got the feel of, you know, pretty much every game out there. And there's a lot of games I haven't seen and there's a lot of games I haven't played all that much. And you definitely need continuous experience on a single title before you can get, you know, so comfortable with it that you know exactly what you're going to do on that game. And I think with Keith Owen, that's one thing that he's been able to master. He's been able to practice and play almost, if not every game out there, so that when he gets to a tournament, he knows exactly what's going to happen with the game. He knows exactly what to shoot for. He knows the bounces. He knows the banks. And, you know, he's just an amazing player. Keith did get started at a young age and certainly has been around machines a long time. Somebody who is still quite young. What about Escher Lefkoff? Man, you know, he is amazing. He reminds me of me when I was that age, although he's even better because he understands this new age of, you know, computer coding of pinball and rule changes and code updates. And he can pick up on that a lot faster than I can. When I was growing up, you know, I was playing games in the 80s like Black Knight and Xenon from the late 70s, early 80s, Gottlieb System 80 games, System 11 games from Williams. You know, there's only two or three objectives and the rules never change. And with me, it was like, okay, I know what I need to do on this game. I'm just going to rinse and repeat. But nowadays, you need to change your style. It's not all about that anymore. And with rule changes, young players like Escher and Colin Urban and uh, Alec from Pittsburgh, you know, those players are, they have a young mindset and, you know, the information is feeded to them. Like they understand the rule changes and the code updates a lot better than me. Great players, all of them, and especially with Escher, too, also having a good mentor in his father, Adam. Uh, so that certainly helps. And uh, it's going to be between you and him, I think, is the next new number one player in the IFPA. The current number one player, Raymond Davidson. Tell me what you think about Raymond. You know, Raymond, he never staggers. He's always just focused, and he always plays the same game. You know, he's always consistent, I guess is what I want to say. I don't really talk much to Raymond, He lived on the West Coast. I was on the East Coast. Now he's up in Chicago. But I definitely respect his play. And, I mean, he's one heck of a player. And now that he's working for Stern, I think it's going to even improve his play more with the, again, code updates and and understanding the different rule changes with the updates, even though he was pretty good at that earlier. I mean, he's, what, in his mid-20s now. And he won the World Championship in Denmark. And then he won, what? In Toronto. Yeah, in Toronto. So, I mean, the two world championships championships I went to, Raymond Davidson won both, and I'm like, oh, my God, who is this guy? So I had to play him in the round of eight in Toronto, okay? I put up 
I don't know, somewhere around $9 billion on attack from Mars? Nope, that's not good enough. I put up uh, $550,000 on Harlem Globetrotters? Nope, that's not good enough. And then I played him on Adam's Family and had over $100 million, and that Adam's Family up there was tough. Nope, that wasn't good enough. And I'm thinking, man, I got three respectable and pretty darn good games, and Raymond Davidson beat me on all three of them and swept me. <laughs> so that's, that's what I have to say. You know, he's an amazing player. Yeah, I remember that tournament very well. I think I was in a match with you and Robert Gagno and some others, and that was my worst round ever because I, I was going up against these heavyweights. But that's what happens at the IFPA World Championship. Another IFPA World Champion, multiple winner. What about Daniele Achari from Italy? Oh, my gosh. I don't think I've beat him at a game ever. Now, I haven't played against him much but when we played a round up in Toronto, and we only played one round together, I thought I had him on Genesis. That was a really tough Genesis up there, and I had two or three million on that. And I don't even think he really knew what he was doing. I, I think he said, you know, what am I supposed to be shooting at? Yet he chopped wood, and he came back and won up beat me. I think he's the only player that I know of that I've never beat on a single game ever. Even I mean, I haven't played many games against him, but... I should still at least win one. That's what happens when you're talking about the best of the best, too. And not many people beat Daniele. That's what was so amazing about when Johannes Ostermeyer from Germany beat him at the last world championship. You saw that, didn't you? Oh, that was amazing. I mean, what a comeback. I'm looking forward to him coming to hopefully IFPA 17 in your neck of the woods, Fort Myers at the Pinball Asylum, hopefully this November. And Eric, you have to be the favorite there because as we were talking about other players and familiarity with games, you'll be familiar with these games. And I've noticed in tournaments like Indisc that you won, success you've had at Pittsburgh Pinball Open where you won both classics the last time they had event. And pretty much everywhere you go. Free Play Florida, where you dominated the last time that was there. When you get into a tournament, especially the pump and dump, when you get more time on a machine, you find your shots and your rhythm, and honestly, you're unbeatable. So that, I think, is one of the many reasons why you have to be the favorite at IFPA 17. You know, I've been the favorite in a couple tournaments, or close to the favorite. And <laughs> every time I'm the favorite... I don't even come close to winning. Uh, it, it seems like tournaments like Indisc or maybe the Masters a few years ago, where you know that's pretty much where people started to hear who I was. Those are the kind of tournaments I seem to win. But the ones that I'm favored in, I don't know why, Jeff. I just uh, <laughs> I don't seem to do too well. Although you know, Pinball Asylum being my home, obviously I'll know the games just so everyone knows. I don't have any part in picking the games. This is all, you know, the Pinball Asylum and, and Josh Sharp. So I, I don't have an advantage in that way. But, you know, once the games are announced, they're going to be moved, Jeff. So, you know, the games, the shots are going to be a little bit different. The thing I will have the advantage of is getting to know uh, the rule sets of, you know, certain games. Now, at the Pinball Asylum, we have a lot of older games. We have a lot of 70s and 80s and, and 90s games many stirs. So, you know, I think Trent Augustine is probably going to be bringing up uh, some of the stern games for the World Championship. And again, you know, those may be the games that I need to really work on, especially, you know, with code updates and rule changes and stuff like that. So I do have the home court advantage, but in my mind, 
I'm not going into it like I have an advantage. I'm going into it like any other tournament. The one thing that is nice about it being in Fort Myers is you don't have to travel, which is one of the hardest things about competitive pinball is you really do need to travel a lot or certainly win every chance you get in your neck of the woods. But traveling definitely helps. And for you, like many people, work keeps you busy. Are you going to be able to find more time to travel for tournaments once we get out of this pandemic? Yeah, it's interesting. My contract for work and very shortly. And so I'm not really sure the direction that the TV station I work at is going to go. I've been doing a lot of reporting rather than meteorology, rather than weather. And weather is, you know, what I got a degree in, and that's my passion. So in the near future, I'm going to be applying for jobs. I would love to stay in Florida, but I really have a feeling that Fort Myers may not be my home come November or whenever the world championships take place. Yeah, who knows what the future will hold, but I do know in the past few years, that TV station has been very kind for promoting your successes in bowling, definitely in pinball. And it's nice to see because, yes, it promotes you, but really it helps promote pinball. Yeah, you know, I don't want to make these tournaments and the things we do on the air about me. I want to make it about other people, and I want to make it about just the sport of pinball. And I know we're going to touch on this, but Norma Jennings is a very good friend of mine. And, you know, most people know that she has terminal cancer and that, you know, she runs a uh, Twitch stream, Pinball and Cancer. She's a very, very dear friend of mine. And any chance that I can get to, you know, promote her and to get people to pray for her is, you know, a big win in my book. And Fox 4, the station I work for here, has been very kind with that. And they kind of let me just do my own thing and just run with it. Yeah, we all love Norma Jennings for sure. And I watch her Tuesday night Twitch stream, Pinball and Cancer, Two Journeys. And uh, she, like yourself, two of the 10 most intriguing people uh, last year for Pinball Profile. So you both fascinate us for sure. And I love that the TV station is promoting what you're doing. One of the things they promoted, I remember, was seeing the video of you winning Indisc. Now, you've won a lot of major tournaments. I think of the North American Championship. I think of Pin Masters. Some of the other ones we mentioned. If you had to pick one, what was the hardest to win and what is your most favorite win? Maybe they're the same. Yeah. You know, when I came in on the scene in 2016, that's basically when I was working for my other TV station here in Fort Myers. And, you know, new new management came and they let a lot of people go. And I was one of the people they let go. I didn't have a resume ready. I didn't have, you know, a, a reel, which you need in TV. And so I thought, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to just sit here and kind of pout? Or maybe this is an opportunity to, you know, just get out there and see how good I can be in competitive pinball. Friends of mine, you know, growing up and uh, even in the competitive pinball world in New England have always said, oh, you know, you'd be, I think you'd be one of the best and this and that. So I decided to give it a try. So I went over to Texas in 2017 and, you know, won the North American Championship. I didn't have any nerves. You know, I think I went 19 and 0 and I finally lost on a weather based pinball called Whirlwind. Now, I mean, who would have thought? And then I wound up winning on a flip a card and then went on to win the Masters that weekend. I had no nerves whatsoever because I didn't even know what to expect. I just, I'm just having fun. Well, all of a sudden, you know, I see my ranking going up and people are like, oh, wow, this and that. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I kind of got a little nervous. So originally, I thought that that was going to be the best weekend of my life, but 
I have to say that this was definitely the best pinball weekend of my life. Uh, I believe that's the only classified major tournament that I've won. I don't think Pin Masters of the North American Championship back in 2017 was classified as a major, but uh, it was just amazing, you know? And again, the whole story was... It's in California. It's far. People that know me, they know I like to drive to tournaments, even if it's a 16- or 20-hour drive. I've driven to Pittsburgh, Chicago, Dallas, Austin. California, there's just no way I was driving there. And I really, I physically, I didn't want to go. And I just kept having this feeling. And, I, you know, I believe it's it was kind of God putting it in my heart that, hey, you need to go to Indus. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to need a lot of money for this. I don't know. And then Free Play Florida hit, and I was blessed to win the Classics of the Main. And so that paid pretty well. Then I, again, had that feeling inside, like, okay, you've got the money now. Now how about you go to Indisc? And I'm thinking, oh, I don't know. And then DJ Ryle, who is a, a great player from Pittsburgh, a really good friend of mine, he said, hey, you know, you can you can room with me. I'm going to rent a car, and uh, it's not going to be as expensive. Let's go. And I thought – all right, well, you know, here we go. I'll just, I'll go for it. And I got there and I thought, wow, you know, this is almost, this is like a, a mini Pinberg because you have all those games on free play. And it, it was like a Papa event because it, it was the, the ticket. You know, I've never been a fan. I've always said, oh, I hate qualifying with a ticket because you have to do well on every single game. And, you know, you do well on X amount of games and you get to the last game and you think, oh, my gosh, I need to do well on this. Otherwise, I throw it all away. Coming in second in the Classics the first night and then the second night, there's 200-something people. And you only have a certain amount of hours to try and qualify. It's so hard. And then to win that was just amazing. And, you know, in the main tournament, I only played two tickets and I qualified 11th. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool, you know. But then the second round, I had to play Keith Elwin. And I had to play Keith Elwin on his own game, Jurassic Park, and Black Knight Sword of Rage. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, these are, you know, new Stern titles. And I was able to win. You know, I was able to, to do really well in that round. And I thought, wow. And I just kind of rode the wave. I had to play Escher Lefkoff in the next round. And I thought, boy, you know, Escher is a tough guy to beat. And and then making the final four and the whole thing about Diner, you know, it's weird when you look back at it, how you see, you know, how God blessed me in that tournament. A lot of tournament directors would have said, well, you got a plastic stuck in the scoop. There's nothing we can do. And I'll never forget Josh Sharp come up to me and he looked at me and he said, don't worry about it. You know, we got you. We're going to handle this. And they actually took the scoop apart from underneath and, you know, it was about a 45-minute delay, and I was watching you because you were commentating on that. And, you know, you were saying, well, you know, they got to throw the game out, this and that. <laughs> and we had already played ball one, and in my mind, I'm just so focused, like, all right, I got $5 million on Diner on the first ball. Mm. we we got to get through this. And so, you know, thankfully, after an hour, you know, we got through that one game. Jared had the pick all the way through. Everybody thought I had the pick all the way through. And so, you know, when people were announcing, they're like, oh, what's Eric going to pick next? Well, Jared deferred to me, and I picked Diner. Then he deferred to me again, and I picked Scared Stiff. And a lot of people thought, well, why didn't Eric pick Wizard? Because I had blew up Wizard all weekend. Well, the very first pick of the day, DJ Ryle deferred the pick, and I picked Wizard. So you weren't allowed to. Right. I don't think anyone realized 
that I picked Wizard because even Bob Matthews was saying, oh, I, I would have thought you would have picked Wizard. And I thought to myself, well, about 12 hours ago, I did pick Wizard. Yeah, that's a long tournament, too. I mean, that is a real endurance. It, it is. Um, but, you know, the longer I play in a tournament, like you say, I'll get the shots down and the better I'll do. So to make a long story short, we play scared stiff. And, and I'm thinking in my head, all I have to do is win this game. And, and I've got it all, you know. And I was so nervous. That had to be the worst game anybody – I was telling somebody last week, I said, I bet you a little a little four-year-old could plunge the ball three times and get more than 367000 on scared stiff, which is about what I got. So then, I, you know, I buckled down. And if Jared would have deferred to me, I was going to pick F14 Tomcat because it's a game I grew up with and it's a game I knew exactly what to do. And when Jared said – I'm not going to defer this game. I'm going to pick F14 Tomcat. I thought, wow, now look at this. Not only do I get the game I want to play, but, but I can play fourth player. And when I know what I need to do, I tend to have better results, you know? And like I said, the passion and the emotion, it all came out on that third ball when I came back to win it. So I have to say, by far, that was my favorite tournament, and it was my most favorite weekend and then when you look back on it, it was the toughest because you're fighting against 300 and something people in a ticket-based tournament called the World Championship, you know? So so I guess you'll have to go and defend it when it comes back next year. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I, I never said I would play many tournaments west of the Mississippi because of the driving. But, yeah, I, I, I have to. I, I have to see I have to see the banner, and uh, it was just an amazing experience. There have been a lot of victories, but I have been there for a few of your big defeats, too. I just want to point out to people, this man is not invincible. There have been a few. I wasn't there, but I certainly know that young Dalton Eli got you at the Georgia 2019 state finals. He beat you and you came in second. So that's a nice feather in his cap anytime you can beat Eric Stone. But I was there for two of your biggest defeats. I don't even know if you know where I'm going. I do. I do. I know exactly where you're going. Okay. The first one. The first one is... The tiebreaker on Ali and Pinberg that would have got me into the fun, into the top four against Andre Masenkoff when uh, anybody that knows Ali knows that you need to build your bonus and your multipliers on the first ball. Well, Andre and I both had house balls, but my house ball was on the first ball. His house ball was on the third ball. I was nervous when when I look back at that. Uh, you know, I, I think I could have possibly at least made one of those saves on the first ball or the third ball. I, I still to this day, Jeff, play in my head. Could I have caught the ball on the right flipper coming out of the collect bonus scoop and transferred it over to the left flipper and just keep shooting that? And while I was playing, I thought about that. I thought, I wonder if I can transfer the ball over. But again, that's I don't have much time on Ali, so I don't know if I could have done it or not, and I chose not to. And, you know, I, I paid the price, so... Nope, that's that's not it. I'm sorry to say that is not one of your two biggest defeats. And I will oh. point out to you that I actually bought that Ollie machine from Papa. <laughs> you so did. I am now the owner of that machine. <laughs> oh, boy. See if you can do that post-pass and let me know. I just relive the time I beat Zach Sharp the first time I ever made Papa Classics playoffs. And... uh <laughs> and I made it into a T-shirt, so good times. When I when I told Zach I bought it, he said, good, get that game out of our country. You know, that wasn't one of your two biggest defeats. 
It was at the old Bat City Open Buffalo Billiards in Austin, Texas, and your big defeat was when you decided to park on 6th Street. What happened? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I still tell people this story. They say, oh, Austin's a great city. And I said, yeah, but it's not a great city for parking because... So I, you know, I got there at eight thirty at night, and everybody in Austin knows you can't park on Sixth Street. There's signs everywhere. I think you parked yeah. right in front of a sign. Yeah, it said two hour parking between seven a.m. and nine p.m. So naturally, when I see that, I think, okay, well, after nine p.m., parking is free. Oh, <laughs> here in Fort Myers, we have two hour parking between nine a.m. and five p.m., and that's all the sign says. It, I saw no signs that said. Your car gets towed if you're parked here after 9 o'clock at night. How well did that work with the tow truck company? It was horrible. I know. The story was terrible. We talked about it last time you were on Pinball Profile. But uh, <laughs> anyway, a lot of money and a lot of hours out of city to get that car back. That was one of your big defeats. Your other one. Do you know what the other one is? <sighs> this is the biggest defeat I've ever seen you have. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Well, when I, when I drove to Chicago, I, I had a problem with my car. But you're close. You're in the right city. So it was when we went to the Stern Pro Circuit in Chicago, the first time they held it there, you and I were were staying together and we decided to go have dinner beforehand. And we (laughs) went to a little pub, grabbed some food. You had your sweet tea and you had already polished it off. And she said, would you like a refill? And you said, yes. And then she kept bringing you refills. We got the bill and she gave you, she charged you for every refill that she offered. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's that's a big loss in my book. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe the nerve of that. Like, it wasn't like you said, may I have a refill? She offered and then put it on the tab. Oh, that, that wrecked your whole weekend. Yeah, you know, I, I, I had a similar loss when I went to Denmark where um, I, I got several iced teas, and I believe they were $9 a piece. And uh, I didn't realize, you know, that when you go to Europe or even when I went to Toronto, there were a couple places that uh, they charge you for refill. And I'm thinking, do you realize how much iced tea costs to make? A couple pennies. And you're charging me 2 3 $4 a shot. And I'm thinking, wow, I, I just spent more on iced tea than I did on my meal. So Or the hotel room. Yeah. No, <laughs> not, not quite. <laughs> Although, hey, that was a cheap hotel room that I found. What was it, like $40-something a night in downtown Chicago? It was okay. Um, if you don't mind a few bed bugs, hey, what the heck? <laughs> No, it was good. It was good. It was good. Uh, it was a little, a little noisy. I mean, you know, there were some runners out there in the morning. And oh, that's right. There was the marathon that went on. That's true. The walls were paper thin, but there were no bed bugs, just so everybody knows. I'm just kidding. I love what you're doing. Uh, good luck on TV. Good luck in bowling. Good luck in pinball. Love what you're doing with Norma Jennings. I thought it was neat, the little event you just had recently, the pin golf at the asylum, but it was outside. There was even a water hazard hole. You guys are doing great things there in Fort Myers. Yeah, you know, one thing that was great was to be able to play with Norma. And, you know, watching her Twitch stream, she is extremely passionate about pinball. And it was such a blessed day for both of us. We qualified together, we played all the games together, and we got into the top eight together. We were the same group. And, you know, she looked like she might have been out after the first two games, but she got a hole-in-one on Hocus Pocus on the third game. And her and I were able to both advance to the finals. And, uh, you know, she finished in third, and, and I was I was blessed to win it. 
but it was really that day was all about her. And I was able to get the TV crew there and we did a little interview with her and it aired on Sunday. And I just posted that on my Facebook, but uh, it, it was really a cool day. Not for the fact that it was the tournament, it was outside, which was neat, but the fact that Norma was able to come back after, you know, the diagnosis of terminal cancer and just to see how happy she was. It just, it made my day. She is the reigning women's champion at Free Play Florida too. So uh, no question, a great player. Just like yourself, maybe someday, number one, I'm sure that's a big goal of yours. Well, here's the funny thing. I try to do the math and I know this is uh, this is a terrible way to, to get in first place. I think how long would it take if we had no IFPA tournaments to back myself into first place? Because with Free Play Florida and Indisc, I think I accumulated 420 points. Oh, wow. Yeah, in just those two tournaments. Well, with the classics as well. So the longer period of time we don't have IFPA, the more points that Raymond and people above me are going to lose. And I'm not going to lose as many until November and January. Obviously, that's not how I want it. So what I'm hearing is, Eric, you're hoping the pandemic continues for at least another year. That's all I'm hearing. <laughs> I may need more than a year, but no, no. <laughs> continue. I'd rather play pinball. And you know what? If if I'm blessed to be the number one player in the world, hey, that's that's pretty cool. But if not, hey, you know what? I, you know, I, I won the world championship. And uh, I guess I could be called the longest reigning world champion, right? I think you and Escher, Escher too, from the last Papa Championship, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, but no, you know, in, in reality, I really want, you know, all this to go away and people are getting vaccinated now. And, you know, I, I really can't wait until IFPA starts up again. I don't know where I'm going to be. I don't know who I'm going to be working for. You know, maybe I'll win the Powerball and I'll be able to just go to every event, you know, and, and play 50 or 60 tournaments a year. I really doubt that's going to happen, but that would be pretty cool. Either way, uh, I'm looking forward to the competition. And, you know, we did we did have um, a state tournament here in Florida that, uh, again, I was blessed to win up at the Pinball Lounge, which is where all the state tournaments in Florida are held. I think you, well, you were at the district before free play. I'm not sure if you made your way to the lounge. It's right down the street. Yeah. But, you know, that was, you know, January was the first time I played a pinball tournament since I want to say April, March, April of last year. So that's how busy I've been with work. So I'm, I'm hoping that some time will free up. You know, this pandemic will uh, subside and, you know, we can get back to playing pinball. Fingers crossed. I would love for that to happen. So hopefully that will be soon. Eric, all the best. Thank you, Mr. 300. Thank you, Jeff. This has been your Pinball Profile. You can find everything on pinballprofile.com. All your subscriptions, past episodes, and more were on Facebook as well, Twitter and Instagram at Pinball Profile, and you can email us pinballprofile at gmail.com. I'm Jeff Teolis. Well, grab your shoes and grab your balls and let's head to those heavenly halls. Sit on down and grab a beer because bowling time is pretty near. Tortured men forget their pain when they head to the bowling lane. Let's Go bowling, let's go bowling.